You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Well, hi, everybody. I'm really, really excited, for one, to be talking to adults for a really long time. I've just been talking to fourth and fifth graders. So if at any point you get bored, you need to like twirl around in your seat, don't worry, I'm used to it, so that's fine. Um, but again, I'm just so excited that I get to talk. And I, the last time I spoke, I was talking to Evan about this, and he's like, how did it go? I wasn't here. Like, Tell me how it went. And I was just like, um, it was really, really hard because they were actually listening to every word I said instead of like every other word like I'm used to. So it was a lot of pressure, but I still really, really enjoyed it. And I've really enjoyed this series that Evan is in and that he is tackling where we're unpacking seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. And I've been popping in and out of the, in the podcast and I just find it that God has been really convicting me in this season. Because we think of the cross or we think of the crucifixion story, we think of it as just one day. We think of it in a, on a Good Friday service or we pack it into an Easter weekend, but it is so much more than that. And I think Jesus has really been challenging my thought to think of the impact and think of the weight that the cross and the things that he has said on the cross and what they really mean. And so today we're going to be talking about Jesus's final words on the cross. The very last thing he said before he uh, left this earth. And it wasn't a statement of agony. It wasn't a statement of pain, but it was a statement of absolute triumph. And it was a statement of victory. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, we're going to hear Jesus's last words. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So I believe last week we talked about how Jesus took a sip. He was thirsty. And now Jesus is uttering in his final breath that it is finished. What a powerful statement in someone's last breath. I don't know if any of you have ever given it thought, but in this past like couple weeks, I've been thinking like, what would I say in my last breath? Who would I say like one last thing to? Would I say something to my family? Would I say something to my husband? What would that word be? You, we see these movies and these main characters before they're passing away. They, first of all, they don't die right away. They have like a five minute like statement that they're gonna say before they die but they always say something that moves all the other characters to tears. Or they say something that starts to move like the movie theater to tears. They just have said something so powerful. And in this last few weeks, I feel like I was just sitting there like, man, I feel like I'd say something like really stupid, like really, really ridiculous and not finish my sentence and then I just fall over dead. And then it got me even thinking more so of a story. I've never actually witnessed someone's like last breath, but I did get to witness and I did get to be a part of um, a moment that has stuck with me. A couple years back, I had my grandfather who was fighting cancer and he ended up going into the hospital. Um, it was probably going to be his last few days on this earth. And when we had gone into the hospital, originally he was out, he was sleeping. The doctors and the nurses said that he's probably not going to wake up. So it was a really emotional time for my family. 
And then by some miracle, obviously Jesus, he woke up. Doctors and nurses had no idea why he woke up. He just woke up. And that was such a beautiful thing that we got to spend a full day with my grandfather. We got to hear him try and whisper something to us or try and get our attention. But each and every one of my family members got to say something to him. And each and every one of us got to talk to him and say our final goodbyes. And there was a moment where I had to leave and I went up to my grandfather and I kissed him on the cheek. And as I I was leaving, I said, obviously, I said, I love you. And he said, I love you too. And then I was walking out the door and for some reason, I just had that feeling. I was like, I should just look back, be very dramatic and look back at my grandfather. And I looked back and I just saw in his eyes how much he truly did care for me and how much he loved me. And in his, his way of saying, I love you, but he whispered, it was so faint and you could tell like he was struggling to say it, but he literally just looked at me and was like, I love you. I was just like, oh man, if that's my last moment with my grandpa, I'll be okay. And little did I know that he would end up going back to sleep and he wouldn't wake up. But that was the last words I ever heard from my grandfather. And that was a moment that has stuck with me and has held so much weight and has carried me through some hard times. Like my family, they don't always get along. There's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of fights happening and people don't agree. But for one moment, we came together and I got to hear my grandpa say, I love you for the last time. And that has gotten me through some dark times and that's gotten me through the hard times of the funeral and saying, you know what, at least I got to say goodbye. At least I got to hear his voice one last time. And that really got me thinking about this statement from Jesus. In his last breath, he chose to say, it is finished. Now that should hold some weight for all of us. And we should wonder, like, what what does Jesus mean? If Jesus has a purpose for everything and he has a plan for everything, why did he choose these final words? And what does it look like for us? Because it is finished. It's not just a normal, like, okay, it's done. Bye. See ya. Going up to heaven. But it is finished has meaning. And so we're going to unpack two parts to this. It is finished. It is, what does it mean coming from God? And what does it mean for us? So part one of what does this mean from God? It is finished. He finished what we could not. Jesus dying on the cross finished everything we needed and everything that was foretold before him. But especially, especially what we needed. So a little bit of Bible history for everybody. All the way back from the very beginning of the world, there was two people, Adam and Eve, And human history has repeated itself over and over and over again in the fact that human beings just suck. We're not very good, right? We don't do well. We mess up all the time. You can look on the news. You can read an article. It's still the same darn thing. We stink. We're not good, right? We do stuff that was wrong. We mess up. And in the Old Testament, I know it's getting a little like Bible knowledge on you, but in the Old Testament, there are many commands and there are many laws and there are many rituals in the Old Testament. And these rituals and these commands and these laws are put in place because people don't know how to properly follow God. I love that we were originally created to be with God. 
We were originally created to be in relationship with God and to walk with God. Adam and Eve literally got to walk in the garden with God. So that's his same intention for us. We were created to be in relationship. We were created to know our father. How great is that? That a creation of a father would be so that we could be in relationship with him. We want, we get to know our creator. And that was his intention from the very beginning. But over time, since this fall of man, we have wanted that control. We've wanted that control over our lives. We've wanted the control over our future. We've wanted the knowledge of what's going to happen. We still do. And so because we have chosen to be almost like our own God or choose our own path instead of the path that God has for us, we mess up and we don't get it right. And so there was this, this need for a leader. There was this need for a king. We had King David and he tried and he messed up, obviously in the Bible, if you want to look that up, but he over and over again messed up. But Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of every command that the father had in place. And he was going to be the, the thing that happened at the end of the prophecy. He was the solution to the problem. So in Psalms chapter 22, verse 16 through 18, I know Evan kind of touched on the beginning part of Psalms chapter 2, 22, but this is King David. He is crying out to the father in anguish. He's crying out to the father in frustration. He needs God and he feels abandoned. And this is what just absolutely blows my mind every single time is in verse 16, David says this. For a pack of dogs has surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I'll stop right there. They pierced my hands and my feet. Sound familiar? Huh? Yeah. That is exactly what Jesus goes through. They pierced his hands and feet. I can't count all my bones they took and they stare at me. They divide my clothing among them and they cast lots for my garments. Now this verse explicitly, these first couple verses explicitly predict the crucifixion of Jesus. When they are piercing his hands and their feet, he's not, they're not literally piercing David's hands, not literally piercing David's feet. They're not literally casting lots for his clothes, but what is figurative to David is literal to our, our savior, to our Jesus. And that blows my mind that that prophecy that King David was crying out. Jesus ultimately was the solution to that problem. He had it all planned out. God had every single moment planned out. And this is what really blows my mind. If God planned out the death of his own son to the minute detail, he, he did everything. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Do you not also think that he knows the plan he has for your guys' lives as well? Do you think he knows the plan he has for me? Even down to the tiniest detail. He knows it all. And he's planned it out. And if nothing else, what this prophecy should foretell us and should tell us is that God does everything that he says he's going to do. He does nothing short of follow through every single time time. 
So when we're going through our seasons of struggle, when we're going through our seasons of doubt and frustration with God and we're crying out, we can know at the end of the day and have faith that God is going to follow through. It may be in his own way, his own darn way that he chooses, but he's going to follow through every single time. Which leads me into part two. So what does this mean for us? It is finished. What separates us from God is no more. What separates us from God is no more. Now, the Old Testament is filled with some pretty wonky stuff, okay? And if you're relatively new to the faith or you're just kind of seeing what this is all about and you start in the Old Testament, you're going to read something and you're going to be like, what? Okay, this is not right. Why Why do I have to kill six goats in order to follow God? That doesn't make sense. I don't even know a person who has a goat. I can't do that. Or why can I only eat this meat? Why can I not do this? And why do I have to follow this law? And it just becomes like, there's so many things that we can get lost in. But what we can forget is that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that. He came to the earth so that we don't have to do all that junk. So we don't have to have our stuff together all the time. Cause that's what it was all about in the old Testament is that I have to do this right thing in order to earn God's love. I have to follow these rules in order to receive my inheritance, the kingdom of heaven. But what Jesus did on the cross was cover all of that. He came to end all of the suffering and the pain and the failures that we go through, which is great because that means we don't have to have all of our life goals figured out in order to love God or for God to love us. We don't have to have it figured out. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, I typically don't like to like jump all over the place like I feel like I'm doing right now and jump from passage to passage because we can technically, we can kind of get lost in all of it. But for the sake of all of this, I want to read Isaiah chapter 53, verse three through five. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he was despised by people on this earth. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him with low esteem. Surely he took on our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the son of God comes down to the earth. It's completely rejected by humans, completely rejected by man. And yet the savior came to suffer and die for our sins for our griefs, for our pains, for our sorrows, for the sicknesses, all that consequences of sin, he came to die for. And I think we also have to discuss when we're thinking of the cross and we're thinking of Jesus carrying our, our burdens, carrying our sins, there's this idea of shame and guilt that can also follow closely behind the cross. 
I, um, I, I am married, and we're about a year and a half almost into um, marriage. Well, I'm married with my husband, obviously. And we have decided we wanted to take that next step in our marriage. And when I mean the next step, I mean we purchased a dog, right? And what were you thinking, you nasty sickos? No, uh, we purchased a dog, and he is a now eight-month-old German shepherd, and he is just the... The light of my life, I tell you what, being a dog mom has had no greater pleasure. But he is in that also really, really naughty stage of his life. And so in the past couple weeks, I've been up at our camp on the boulder at kids camp. And so my husband has had to work and take care of him. And he's really struggling like as a single dad right now. And so just pray for him and all of that. But still... Uh, he was one night apparently gone for too long, and our dog had a hissy fit. And so he came home, and there is probably a, like a toddler-sized head hole in our carpet. Our, our dog decided to chew straight through the carpet, straight through that like foam stuff that's right, and then spread it all over the place. And to say we weren't totally pissed at this dog. I was like, you're, you're dead. You're so, so dead. He did reveal some beautiful hardwood floors, so I can't be like fully mad, but still we're like, oh my gosh, why did we ever, ever get this dog? And so obviously we're like, okay, we have to punish him. We have to make sure he knows that he cannot chew our whole house apart. That is not going to work for us. And so every time we like would walk by the hole, we'd say, like, what did you do? Like making him feel so guilty. And he, he got to the point where he would not even walk down the hallway because he was like, no, (laughs) you're going to make me feel bad for what I did. And I'm sorry. I apologize 12 times. And so like, he would literally sit at the end of the hall and we're just like, no, it's not going to happen. So then we were like, okay, I got to ease up a little bit, but he felt so much shame and so much guilt. And now I kind of feel guilty about it. I'm like, destroy my dog's spirits. But him chewing up the carpet and him feeling that shame and that guilt kind of reminds me of like, there's this time also that um, I was 13. And when my family, we, when we turned 13, we got to watch The Passion of the Christ, which if any of you have grown up in church, it's this big movie about the crucifixion of Jesus. So that was a big moment in my family. And I remember watching that movie and it, it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful story and very well done. But I remember like leaving that. First of all, it was so quiet. And then I went to my room and I just like, I was like, <laughs> I murdered Jesus. <laughs> my sins, my 13-year-old my self, who really was very sheltered, did. I was like, that's it. I lied, and that's him. That's the death on the cross. I can't believe I did that. And as we grow older and we start maybe, potentially, making more mistakes in our life or doing other things that we know we're not supposed to do, we can start to feel that, that guilt and that shame. So whenever we kind of hear about the cross, we feel maybe a little uncomfortable because we're like, yeah, I know I messed up. Yeah, I know I did this. Yeah, I know he died for my sins. Great. I still feel bad and I still feel that shame. And Evan talked, he touched on a little bit last week, how we can feel separated from God and how we can feel distant from God. And we can ask ourselves like, where, where is God? God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I, I want to take a, a, just a touch of a step further. And this, this could be, I'm going to disclaim this right now. This could be a very bold statement I'm about to make. 
This could be a statement that you're like, Ugh, I don't know. That makes me feel a little weird. And that's fine. We can talk about it. But sometimes I believe that the separation that we're feeling between us and God can be us pushing away from God. And can be us saying, no, God, you, you don't understand. That shame and that guilt that I feel, I, you can't take that on. You shouldn't take my burdens. Or maybe we're even sitting there like, honestly, like I didn't do anything super bad. Like, okay, it's fine. So God, you don't need to take that from me. I am fine with it. Or maybe we just don't want to admit to ourselves that that is our debt, that that is our burden that we're carrying. But see, Jesus, he went to the cross to pay the price for you and for me. He went to the cross to pay full price for you, but not to add to our debts. He didn't come here to add that shame and that guilt. He didn't come here to add like, look at you and make you feel insecure and make you doubt yourself. He didn't come here to do that. He didn't come to add to the problem. He came to be the solution to the problem. But our problem is, is we want to take control over those things. We want to take control over the things that maybe separate us. But he wants us to surrender what separates us. In Romans chapter 8, once again, I'm just jumping all over the place. But Romans chapter 8, verse 35, this is Paul talking. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I like to kind of think maybe Paul's being a little bit sassy right now and be like, who's going to separate you from the love of God? A father who sent down his son to take on the world's problems? And you think he's going to separate you from his love? Do you think anything's going to separate you from his love? It's not. The problems you face in the past, the problems we face right now, and the problems we face in the future are never going to be too much for God to handle. He knows. And we have an overwhelming victory through the God who loves us, the God who has created you, and the God who wants a relationship with you. We have victory in that. So much that what separates us from the unlimited love of God was taken on the cross by Jesus. It was taken. Our burdens, our sorrows, our pains, whatever you're, you're fighting, he's got it. See, when Jesus bowed his head and spoke his final words and took his last breath on this earth, he did so voluntarily and not so he could just go and meet with his father and not so he could just end it all, but so that the things that we're holding on to, we could be freed from that we could let go of. So I want to pose maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable question that I've been mulling through and still am don't have an answer to because I'm figuring it out. But if Jesus has put an end to our burdens and has broken those chains, then why do we hold on to them? Why do we keep going back to them? 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, I have a sin issue or, oh, I have this issue. Like, but why are we holding on to the things we can't control? Or why are we holding on to our insecurities? Why don't we let go? See, in the past, I want to say like two months maybe, I feel like I've just had like a crap couple months or a season where I'm like this, this, I'm done. I'm over it. I want to be, I want to be in the new season, the season I feel joy and I feel happiness and it'll be all like great and sunshine and rainbows, but I'm not, I'm still stuck in the season that seems to never end. And if I did not believe in the Lord, I would ask like, why does the world hate me? Because it just seems over and over again that I'm, we have a medical emergency in the family or we have family drama and we have just stupid things going on. And it's constantly like weighing on my soul. I'm just like tired. I'm tired of fighting all this stuff. I'm tired of having to be the strong one in the group. I'm tired of having to go through the motions in order to just be okay. I'm tired of going through the pain and I'm tired of all of it. And so, and going into camp season, that has been just a real spiritual attack on my life. And the thing that I keep trying to remind myself is that there is an evil one out there. There is an evil one out there whose sole desire is to seek, is to kill, and is to destroy. Everything. So when we're having those doubts, when we're having those frustrations, when we're going through that pain and that sorrow, the devil delights in that. He is so happy. He is pumped because that, therefore, is putting separation between us and God. We're no longer relying on God, but we're relying on ourselves to try and get through and try and solve the problem on our own. And he would love that because that would mean he wins. That would mean death wins. That would mean what Jesus did and went to the cross for doesn't matter. See, what the evil one intended, when Jesus went to the cross, the evil one intended that that was it, that that was the end of humanity. That was his goal. But when Jesus died on that cross and then rose again, death was finished. Death was over. The devil lost, the evil one lost his hold on our lives. And we are now freed from the chains of death. See, that statement of Jesus saying it is finished was a statement of victory. Saying you have no hold on them. They are my loved children. That is my loved son. That is my loved daughter. I have paid full price. I have died for them. So now that we can live. In relationship. See, Jesus says to all of us, he says, that addiction that you're facing, it is finished. It doesn't have a hold on your life anymore. I'm replacing that with something better. I'm replacing that with wisdom, with intuition. He says, I'm taking your sorrows. I'm replacing them with joy. It is finished. You're done. That pain that we're constantly experiencing, that sickness, Jesus say, it is finished because I did it on the cross. I finished on the cross and it is over. 
so that those things, those burdens, those sorrows, they don't hold us anymore. Jesus used his final breath and his final words to set us free. He used them to set us free. And, and when we, we hear those words, maybe we, we just need to be reminded to, to, to surrender. Surrender those things that we're holding on to. Because his love for you, you don't have to earn it. It's there for you. It's free. Surrender to the cross and move forward in relationship with God. Should you take a minute and pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. In this room, there are sons and daughters that you've cared for since the beginning. Thank you for your son on the cross. And thank you that our debt was paid. Our burdens we don't have to hold on to. We can surrender those to you because you have set us free. And God, I just pray for everybody in this room as maybe there's different situations going on in our lives, God, that we would just open our hands to what you would have for us. Open our arms and let us surrender so we can experience your full freedom and your full love. A love that's unlimited and that a love that can't be destroyed. Father, we thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.